Well, good morning. Uh, it is probably pretty obvious that I am neither Pastor Paul nor Pastor Britta here this morning with us, our regular pastors and preachers. Uh, my name is Lindsay. I'm a member here, and we, uh, my husband and I have been attending for maybe like eight or nine months, sort of. Um, and so it is a real joy to be here with you. Uh, if you want to know some stuff about me, let me tell you a few details, because some of you I know and some of you I still have yet to know. So uh, we moved from Connecticut two years ago during the pandemic with three little children, which is an interesting time to move, a little bit of a difficult time to move. Um, we both went to seminary at Alliance Theological Seminary, which is part of Nyack College, which is <laughs> Scott's alma mater. Uh, I was ordained at a church in New England about nine years ago and served as a campus pastor, which was a location, we were a multi-site church, and so I served as a campus pastor for a few years and a care pastor as well in that. Uh, I have a couple of values that might come across this morning to you, but just in case they don't, I'll tell you anyway what they are. I have a high value for authenticity and for community. I probably didn't have those values until I met my husband who I've been married to for 13 years. He sort of showed me what living in authentic community looks like. I also have a value for fun, so hopefully that will come across this morning. Uh, I am the daughter of a storyteller, and so you will notice that I might tell a few stories this morning. And when I look at Jesus in the New Testament, I see him tell a lot of stories, and I love that about him. And so ideally, you'll see that as well. But if you've been with us uh, online or in person, you'll know that we are in a series in the book of Acts, and we are looking at the early church. And so it is my pleasure to you, uh, my pleasure to talk to you about Acts chapter 9. If you have a Bible, you can open your paper Bible or pull out your phone. Uh, if you don't have a Bible on your phone, but you use your phone a lot and it's a smartphone, you can download a free app, version. it's great. Uh, but pull that out, open up to, to Acts chapter 9, we'll read that in one moment. But we are looking at a, a, a man named Saul, who's also known as Paul. And we're looking at this moment in his life when he sort of goes from being Saul, blind to God, to Saul being able to actually see God. And so has anyone watched the series called Obi-Wan on Disney Plus? Okay, I've got a few. So I want you to be thinking about Third Sister. Hold her in your mind, because with that same passion and drive, that's Saul, okay? For those rest of you, you can look it up. Um, so open your Bible with me. We're going to read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul. Now in scripture, when we see something repeated like that, we know there's an emphasis on that. And it sort of clues us in to pay attention. So Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. 
They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports of this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Oh, Father, would you give us fresh insight into your word? Would you help us to see you more clearly and to grow in your likeness? Now, according to this passage, we see that God reveals himself and initiates transformation, but God does not work alone. God is so powerful and capable, and yet he chooses to heal Saul through Ananias. In fact, God often chooses to work through his people in the process of transformation. Now, I want to focus on two realities this morning. One, I want to look at what it's like to be Saul. And second, I want to look at what, it looks to be Anan what it's like to be Ananias. And so we're going to start with Saul and we're going to work our way to Ananias. All right? So Saul thought that he knew God. In fact, he had the pedigree to prove that he knew God and that he was in good standing with God. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Pharisee. He followed all the laws. He was faultless. He mercilessly persecuted those who followed the way, meaning the way of Jesus. In fact, Saul was present at the stoning of Stephen. And in chapter 8, the, the chapter before we just read, right, we see that Saul is going house to house, dragging men and women from their homes to imprison them. So he is passionate. And he thought that he was acting in accordance with God when he was doing all these things. But in reality, Saul's heart overflowed with venom. He was completely and utterly blind to the reality of who God is and what God wanted from him. The last thing, the last thing Saul expected on the road to Damascus was to meet the living God found in Jesus. 
In verse 4, Jesus asks Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? Jesus wasn't asking, why are you persecuting my people? Jesus asked, why are you persecuting me? See, Jesus was teaching Saul a truth that Saul did not yet understand. When, we, when, when he persecuted those who were, followed Jesus, he was actually persecuting God himself. Now let's talk through some of this theology, okay? So according to Saul's worldview, there was one place in the entire world that God's presence dwelt, and that was in the Holy of Holies inside the temple, okay? And he thought, that's it. That's the end of the story. That's where God dwells. And yet we now know, he did not yet, that when Jesus died on a cross, that the curtain that separated God's presence from the rest of the priests and theoretically the rest of the people, we know that that curtain tore from the top down, representing that God's presence was now accessible to people. Okay, And then at Pentecost, which traditionally is 40 days after Jesus rises, the, the Spirit of God came and infilled and filled the people who followed Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, we continue as we go along, we see that more people were infilled by the Holy Spirit as they chose to follow Jesus. So God no longer resides in the Holy of Holies in the temple. God's temple has become people, and God resides in them. And this would have sounded absurd to Saul. This was not part of his worldview at all. So the fact that he meets Jesus, and Jesus, who he thought had died, was now alive, and somehow being persecuted as he's persecuting the people that follow Jesus, this would have all sounded absurd. But whether it sounds absurd or not, Saul discovers this is true that Jesus, in fact, lives in his followers. In some ways, I kind of feel for Saul, right? Saul had this idea of who God was, and he followed all the rules, therefore he thought he was good. I can check off the rules. There's 613 rules. I can check them all off, right? He memorized scripture. So he was good and comfortable and in control of who he thought God was. It all made sense. You know, I do these things, and God is pleased with me. I think in some ways, as humans, we're like hardwired to try to make sense of it all. I think, I think sometimes we even kind of like the rules, because we know then if we're doing it right or we're doing it wrong, it like makes us kind of comfortable, right? And I think Saul was very much in that place. And yet, God, we can't make full sense of him. He is infinite, and so his Infinity doesn't fit into our finite brains. He is too big for us to control him and limit him the way that Saul did. God cannot be defined or contained the way we often want to. So God did not fit into Saul's paradigm at all, which centered around these rules. So God did not fit. So let's keep going. In verse 5, Saul asks, Who are you, Lord? And when he says Lord there, he means sir, not God. So he's essentially asking, who, who are you? And Jesus answers, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
This, this story of Saul encountering Jesus is told again in Acts 22, so we might get there, or if you've been reading along with us, you, you've, I think, gotten there, that we, we've already read this again. It's retold there, so we find out more details there, but we're going to stay here. So in verse 5, Saul says, why, uh, excuse me, Saul asks, who are you, Lord? Jesus answers, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This statement would have baffled Saul for two reasons, as if he's not baffled enough, right? This encounter happens at noon on the road, and so he is literally blinded by a light at noon, which, so the light that he's blinded by is stronger than the noonday sun, okay? But first, he would have thought Jesus was dead. He knew that, right? He knew the stories of Jesus of Nazareth, he knew Jewish people and non-Jewish people were beginning to follow this individual. He would have known the claims that Jesus was crucified and rose again on the third day. But he, Saul, didn't think that the resurrection happened until the final judgment. So he didn't think that Jesus had risen from the dead. He thought these were just claims, right? So Jesus rising from the dead, when he did, would have made no sense to Saul because Saul thought he knew God. I know how this is going to happen. People will rise from the dead at a later point. So the fact that Jesus is risen here and speaks to him is utterly baffling to him. Now, second, it's also helpful for us to understand that rabbis in Saul's time believed that God no longer spoke directly to people like they did during the time of the Old Testament prophets. Rabbis in this time thought that God only spoke in sort of echoes of that once great time. So the fact that Jesus then come back from the dead and spoke to him directly and lived in the people who followed Jesus would have all been, well, kind of terrifying, I think. Right? It would have been shocking because this went against everything he knew. Everything he knew would have been thrown into chaos, absolute chaos. And so it's in the midst of Saul's total lack of understanding of who God is, in the midst of him spewing hatred towards God's people, in the midst of him literally still having blood-stained hands, that God shows up and completely changes everything he knew and everything he cared about. It's ironic, then, that when Jesus opened Saul's spiritual eyes so that he could actually see God, Saul then became physically blind. It's almost as if God brought Saul's spiritual state of his heart out into his physical being. And it makes me curious, how is your soul doing this morning? If God was to take your present spiritual state and bring it out into the physical, what would you look like? My, uh, my dad was 18 years old the first time that he can remember his father saying something that communicated love to him. My grandfather said he was proud of him. And while he said it, my grandfather looked at the ground not even able to look my dad in the face. 18 years old. Fast forward, though, to my grandfather turning 80 and developing dementia. Over that season, as he slowly lost his mind, 
two things became evident. One, he loved Jesus. And two, he deeply loved his family. Throughout his last years, he lost the ability to cook food and to live alone. But he gained his ability to express gratitude for all those who helped him. He lost his ability to get dressed by himself or to use the bathroom alone. But he gained the ability to have heart connections and conversations with those he loved. In fact, I remember my grandfather telling me he loved me more times in his last years of life than he had in the previous 20 years of my whole life. I remember on some of my worst days, my freshman year of college, my grandfather would call on those days just to tell me how deeply he loved me and cherished me. As he lost his mind, as his body literally crumbled physically and faded away, his inward love and gentleness oozed out every moment it could. God was bringing that spiritual reality of who he was out into the physical that we could all experience God through him. So I ask again, how's your soul doing? Do you like what you see? Now, we've looked at Saul learning that Jesus is alive, that Jesus lives in his people, and that God speaks directly to his people. But he was also about to learn that God works through his people. See, Jesus could have simply healed Saul the same way that he revealed himself to Saul. He could have healed him, but he didn't. He chose to use Ananias. And it kind of makes me wonder why. Why did God choose to work that way? And so I want you to imagine being Saul, if you can. You're angry. A despised man was killed while you watched, and you approved that. You hunted people down, dragging them from their homes. You went to the ruling authority and asked for greater permission to do the same in other locations. Your heart spewed hatred and anger all the time towards these people. And then imagine one of those people one of those people coming to you, laying a hand upon you. And before you have an opportunity to even say a word, they say to you, Brother Saul. Now this was Saul's introduction to the community of faith. This was Saul's introduction into the church Right there, brother Saul. This was before Saul ever apologized or promised to be different. He did nothing to earn Ananias coming to him. Now, doesn't that remind you a bit of Jesus? Giving himself up for us before we even knew that's God's gift on display to Saul and to us. See, if God had just healed Saul, Saul would not have experienced or received this courageous welcome into the family of God. This is an epic story for Saul. 
But this is an epic story for Ananias as well. Because Ananias said yes in this moment, he became part of the greater work and story of the kingdom of God. Verse 10 tells us that God calls to Ananias in a vision to go to Saul. And after a God, are you sure kind of moment, Ananias then goes, ushers him into the community of God, lays his hands on him, and sees Saul's sight be restored. When was the last time you witnessed that sort of miracle, if ever? I mean, imagine if that happened right before you. I don't even know if I have words to express how incredible that would be and what a boost in faith you'd receive. Now, I want you to think back to the first time that you said yes to God. What was that like for you? I remember my first time saying yes to God, and it wasn't so much of a yes as a uh, but God translated it as a yes. See, he's a great translator, right? So he translated that as a yes. I was 18 years old, had uh, been following Jesus and trusting him with my life for about two years. And I was just coming off of an incredibly rough first year of college. And I came home, and I was super angry with God. So I joined a small group, like anyone would, right? And I was put into the pastor's group. And there was one particular time that we were gathering, and there was only a few of us that showed up, and it was going to be a night of prayer. Probably why only a few of us showed up. But so it was going to be a night of prayer. So we were gathering together. I maybe had been praying out loud for a little bit, but it made me kind of anxious. And so they're all praying for our pastor, praying lovely things. I mean, they sounded so good. And I was like engaged, but totally silent, right? But totally with them and all this thing. And I kind of start feeling like I need to vomit. And so I do what anyone would do, right? You lock your mouth shut. That is not coming out. I don't know what's going on right now, but I lock my mouth shut. And a guy comes over and says, Lindsay, I think you have a word from the Lord. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. I really think you have a word from the Lord. He's like, Lindsay. So he puts his hand on me. And so he's like, pray it. We need it. So I say, loneliness. And he's like, yeah, that's good. Pray it again. And I sort of see this image in my head of like a prison cell. And so I say, Lord, help him with his loneliness. And I am like panting and sweating as if I've just run a marathon. I mean, this was like the hardest thing that I feel like I'd ever done in my entire life was this moment praying five things. Meanwhile, I look at our pastor and he is sobbing with the recognition that God saw his pain and revealed it to someone else so it could be brought into the light so that God could do what he does best and minister to his son. I committed right there to saying yes to God because I wanted to participate in those kinds of things. I wanted to see those kinds of things happen. I wanted to be there when God was going to do incredible work in someone else's life. Now, if you'll let me, I want to tell one more story. In our last community, I served as a post-prayer servant, as what we call them. Here, we call them prayer partners. If you've seen them, they usually stand over here. Online folks, I'm sorry, you don't get to see the sanctuary over there. But it's normally over here against the wall so that you can see them. 
and they serve in, in, a, in a partnership. There's two of them there. And some of that is so that you know where they are, but some of that's also like if someone's being prayed for, you can see, oh, okay, I'll just wait a few minutes. I'll, I'll have this conversation, and then I can go and be prayed for as well. But so they stand there, and they want to help you encounter the Lord in whatever is going on in your life. And that's what I wanted as a prayer servant in our last community. And so as a prayer servant, my partner and I are standing there, and a man comes forward for prayer. And I knew a little bit about his life already. I'd been walking with his wife as they were longing to get pregnant and not getting pregnant. Uh, they went to fertility testing and discovered he wasn't the issue. And so she made more appointments with a doctor, and we gathered some women around her to be praying for her and then with her. We put a date on the calendar, and before that date came, she canceled it. She canceled the doctor's appointment. She then decided she didn't want kids any longer, and her job happened to offer her a promotion, which meant more travel uh, and more pay, and she decided since she wasn't having kids, clearly it was a yes and she should take the job. So she did. And so then after a few weeks is when her husband came down for prayer. And so he comes down and he said, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with anger. And he didn't like the person he was becoming because he felt like he was always angry towards her. And so we were getting ready to pray for him. And before we started praying, my prayer partner paused and then turned to him and asked a question. And he said, are you sure you're angry or are you hurt? And the man immediately dropped his eyes to the floor and said, I think I'm hurt. Because see, the thing is, is that he still wanted kids, but his wife never asked his opinion. She took a new job that took her away most nights from him. But she didn't really seem to care. He felt completely rejected by her and alone. His dreams had been crushed. And so in this moment, as he accepted the fact that it wasn't actually anger, that he was actually hurt, he began to sense God's great love for him. And I mean, it was like heavy upon him, like palpable. Like, I think my prayer partner was kind of like holding him. We talked to him about forgiveness, and we stood witness to him as he extended forgiveness in his own soul towards her. It was beautiful. And as he did, it's like God met him in that place even more. Before he walked away, he said, I never knew God could be so present with me. Now, two weeks later, his wife decided she didn't want to be married at all and moved out. But it's this experience, this reality, that God was with him and God loved him. That even though he was rejected by her, he was not rejected by God. That carried him through. And thank God for my prayer partner that morning, pausing and sensing to ask a different question before we started praying, right? So that it could be brought out into the light. See, God uses us in each other's lives when we say yes. It's in the midst of where we are 
and what we are experiencing, that God intervenes and reveals himself to us. It's in places of evil thoughts and uncertainty and deep wounds that he does his transformative work, going beyond where we're able to go alone and leading us into more of himself. This is good news for you and I. God reveals himself, initiates transformation, and then chooses us to change people's lives. Let me pray for us as we go into communion. God, would you help us to know you more intimately in those deep places? God, would you help us to bring those areas into your light that you would minister into them? Lord, you know our uncertainty. You know our doubts. You know our hurts. You know our, the hits we've taken. God, you know the evil thoughts that reign in us. And Lord, we ask that you would be at work in all of those things, that you would be present with us. Lord, may we not just know you in our head, but God, may we actually experience more of you. Lord, and then we pray that we would be people who say yes to what you have in store for us. God, that we would be willing to partner with you as you transform those around us. And so, Lord, we are so thankful for you and what you've done. God, we want to be a people who are in love with you and who are loved by you.